Welcome to When Ghosts Speak with Melissa and Mary Ann. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of When Ghosts Speak. Marianne, the, the only uh, forewarning you've given me is this is the first part of a very interesting story you have for us. Yeah. Uh, when I was trying to come up with, the, you know, what we were going to do today, I thought of this and I have never, ever, ever anywhere at an event anywhere told this story before. And because it sort of made me sad. And, but I thought, well, this is good. And I started writing and I'm writing and I'm writing. And because I have to write this stuff out before I start talking about it. So I get it in the right order. I'm pulling back pieces and parts of things that happened many years ago. And I know when I get around page 11 or 12, when I'm writing that that's pretty good. We're going to go, you know, 25, 30 minutes. When I got to page 20, I thought, oh boy, we're in trouble. This is going to go way too long. And I kept going and finished it about page 35. So I decided to make this a two-parter. So let me start. Harry and Elaine was, were a couple that had a couple businesses here in this area. And I had done some work for them while they were living here. And then oh, about 10 years ago, I got a call from Elaine. They had moved. And they moved to an area outside of a very large metropolitan city, sold the businesses, and they only had Harry Jr. And he was living in this area. He now had children, and so they decided to downsize, sell the businesses, and move out there. And they were staying with Harry, or Harry Jr., and Harry always wanted a bar, a neighborhood bar, just a little place that, you know, local people could come and sit and talk. I, I think, in all honesty, that he envisioned something like Cheers. I, I think this is what he wanted. So they looked around and they looked around and they actually found a nice building and they decided to buy it. And the building was remodeled a number of times. It was actually built around, started in around 1900, finished for some reason, not till 1910 or 12. I don't know, maybe it just took a long time to build back then. I, I really don't know. And so they, they had put money aside and they started and they remodeled the bar and they were so happy because on the second floor of this building, somebody had made an apartment, two bedroom, bath and a half apartment. And so they didn't even have to look for a place to live. They were just going to live above the bar, which they thought would be very convenient, being that that's what they were going to be doing. Uh, there was a third floor, an attic. And when they looked at it with the real estate people, Harry, there was no electric up there. 
And Harry sort of went up the steps. And Elaine said she never went up the steps because they were so steep and so narrow. And there was no electricity up there. When they finally put electric in this building, they never did the attic. So Harry went up, flashed a flashlight around, came back down and said, yeah, it's fine. The roof doesn't look like it's leaking or anything. And they hired people to do the remodeling. Well, it ended up costing them twice as much as they thought. And weird stuff started happening. A carpenter actually lost two fingers in a freak accident. The electrician, or the man that did the electric, almost electrocuted himself. And she started thinking about this. And that's when she sort of remembered that they never brought the quinceeds with them from our area. And so they eventually moved in and everything looked really nice. The bar was doing okay for about three months. We were not making a lot of money, but they were paying the bills. Above the apartment was the walk up to the attic and they never wanted to go up there. They were getting, you know, they weren't young anymore and they didn't want to have to mess with those steps. And so they never ever put anything up there. There was a dirt floor cellar and that's what they were called back then, cellars. There was a room for root vegetables for storage. And Harry put down old wooden uh, pallets on the dirt floor so that they could keep, like there was some electric stuff at a generator. They, he didn't want it on the dirt. So they put it up on pallets. There was a little bit of storage down there, but they really didn't need that much. About the fourth month, business slowed down a lot. So Harry put in a bumper pool table, a couple of pinball machines. Twice a night, he had a trivia contest, and it started to get busy again. Then we had all kinds of trouble with the plumbing. And Sally, one of our regulars on trivia night, came screaming out of the women's restroom that someone said to her, I like your hair. Sally said, I was alone in there. Who said that to me? And Elaine said her and Harry just stared at her. And then another regular customer was sitting there at the bar. And he said, what did you say? And she said, I said a woman said she liked my hair, but there was nobody in there with me. And he said, oh, he said, I thought I was just drunk. He says, but a couple of nights ago, he says, I was in the men's room and I was using the urinal and the water in the sink just turned on all by itself. There was nobody else there, he says. And then the paper towels just kept shooting off the, the out of the holder that was on the wall with the paper towels. And he said, I picked them up and I thought, man, you are really drunk. Nothing more for you. And then he said, but maybe I wasn't that drunk. Maybe that woman came in my bathroom and did that to me. And Elaine said, 
I asked Henry, Harry, do you think we should call Marianne? He said, Elaine, she's 10 hours away. Let's do that smoke thing. And he was talking about smudging. Elaine said, you mean smudge? Harry just said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Elaine said, we did it two times about a week apart. I asked her, did you do the whole building or just the bar? Guess what? Just the bar. She said, but she said, I think I made a big mistake. The apartment had never had anything wrong with it. But after the second smudging, it got really bad in the apartment. So we smudged the apartment and it seemed to be okay for about 10 days. And all of a sudden, Harry and I were on each other's nerves. For no reason, my wrists started aching. They hurt so bad. And I went to the doctor and I thought maybe arthritis or carpal tunnel. Guess what? The doctor said, it's, there's nothing wrong. You don't have arthritis. You don't have carpal tunnel. I don't know what's wrong with your wrists. And she said, could it be arthritis? He said, no, there's nothing there. And he said, but I have to admit the odd thing is I'm surprised that both wrists hurt at the same time. I, I don't know why that's even happening. He said, let me give you uh, some, some medicine, medicine, he said, and let's see if it's better. Well, no, it didn't get better. As a matter of fact, it was three or four days later, her shoulders started hurting her so bad. She couldn't even lift her arm up to comb her hair. That's how bad her shoulders hurt. And she said, that's it. Harry, we are calling Marianne. Something is going on, and I, I, we need to know why. So she was staying at Jim, uh, their junior's house. She refused to stay in her house in the apartment. And I said, why? And she said, oh, this, this, is, this, is, this is what did it. She said, it was about 2 o'clock in the morning the last time we slept there. And it sounded like someone was being dragged across the attic floor. She said, we never go up there. There's nothing up there that we even know about. And then she said, I heard thumps and bumps. And I swear I heard someone moaning. It sounded like a young woman. I thought I was dreaming, but it happened the next night too. No more. Marianne, no more. I need to know what's going on, and I, we haven't stayed here since. I said, Elaine, I said, this place is fine. I says, there's no ghosts here. There's no, no curses. There's no portals. There's nothing here. I says, I don't know what you're sensing. She said, great. Then I'm just plain going crazy. And I said, and I looked at the clock, and it was a Monday, and it was about noon where they lived. And I said, Elaine, you're at the bar, right? She said, no. She said, we're at Junior's house. I said, Elaine, did you forget how we this works? I need you to call me from the bar. I says, I guess it's nice to know Junior's house is clear. I says, but I can't tell you anything until I get a call from the bar. And she said, 
I said, is Harry there now? She said, no, he just got back. He had gone and he cleaned and mopped the floors and everything. And he said, no. And I said, okay. I said, how about, she says, being closed on Mondays, that's our, our easy day. And I said, okay. I said, go back to the bar and call me. She says, no, no, we'll be there tomorrow. I'll call you tomorrow. I said, Elaine, no, you need to call me when the place is empty. I don't know if your patrons will bring something in with them. I, she said, oh, great. She said, okay. She said, it'll take us about a half hour to get there. She says, I'll give you a call back. I said, okay. And oh boy, when Elaine called, I could tell she was anxious. She said, Harry was here all morning and nothing was wrong. Now the water is running in the cleanup room sink. The mop is on the bar soaking wet. Harry would never have left that. And she says, it smells horrible in here. It smells like rotten eggs. And this was not Harry Jr.'s house, let me tell you. I said, Elaine, there is a young woman there, maybe 25-ish. She looked like she died maybe, I don't know, in 1915, 16, that era from the dress she has on. I said, I didn't want to tell her a lot about this woman. But there was also an older man there, maybe 85. He looked like he was dressed from the 50s. Elaine said, I knew it. I just knew it. I knew somebody was here. I knew they were trying to make us move. I knew they were making us crazy. What I didn't tell Elaine was the young woman was a mess. I usually see people in the clothes they had on at their funeral. And if there's no funeral, then they usually have on what they died in. Her, dream, her dress was torn, stained. She was barefoot, very long, dirty blonde hair that was matted and stringy, dark circles around her eyes, like she had two black eyes. And there were these funny marks around her wrists because she kept patting her hair down while I was talking to Elaine. And I could see like, the only thing I, I could think that maybe they were were like rope burns. And I looked down when I saw her bare feet, she had bruises on her ankles. And I thought, oh, this isn't good. Something really, really bad happened to this girl. I made arrangements for Ted and I to go out the following Sunday. We stayed over and we went to the bar the first thing on Monday morning when the bar was closed. Then before we got out there, I had called a detective. His name was Glenn. I had done some work with him a number of years before. I wasn't even sure if he still was working, but he was. And I told him that I would like him to come with me, that I thought there was a good chance that there was something that happened in this bar that was probably pretty violent. And, you know, sometimes it's better to take somebody with you that has more knowledge about how to ask questions in this kind of a situation. And 
he was all excited. He said, oh, yeah. He says, I'm on. He says, oh, what day do you want me there? What time do you want me there? I'm coming. And he said, that bar is only about 45 minutes from, from us. He said, so I'll just meet you guys there. I said, fine. From the way she looked, I knew that she was died violently. And I said to the, the, the Glenn, I had told him the address. And he said, you know, he says, let me do some digging for that area. And let me get some information before I even meet with you guys. Maybe the history of the place, owners, reports, anything you could find. I said, great, bring them along, anything you can find. Harry, Elaine, Glenn, Glenn, Ted, and I all walked into the bar together. No bad odors, everything in place, and two earthbound spirits standing right next to the bar. The older man and the young woman. I looked at them and said, hi. The man just stared at me and said nothing. The young woman just looked at me and whispered, help me, please help me. I said, yes, I'll help you. I said, what happened? She said, please come with me. She says, I will show you. It's very dark. She looked at Ted and she said, bring a lantern. And I thought that was a little odd. And I looked at her and she said, or something to make a light. She said, it, it, there, there's no light up in my room. It's very, very dark up there. So Harry and Glenn and I went into the attic with two really big police flashlights. Harry walked over to the two windows and tore down the wood that was nailed shut over the windows. And then under the wood, there was still some kind of a cloth. I mean, the windows were totally, totally, you, no light through them at all. Totally nothing. And it was a big room, slanted walls. And the woman said, look, she was pointing to a big metal rings bolted to the ceiling. And I looked at her and I said, why are those in the ceiling? I, I, I don't understand. She said, and look at this. And she walked over to an old wooden box and there were chains in there. There were the things, those metal things you put around your ankles were in there. There was really ugly looking tools in there that I bet could really hurt you. And I said, why? I said, start from the beginning. I said, first of all, I says, what's your name? She says, my name is Stella. And I asked her, how, what, what happened to you? I don't understand what happened to you. And she started to laugh. She says, I had to think what my name was. She says, nobody has called my name in many, many, many years. She says, I almost forgot that that was my name. 
And what happened, she said, I was a scullery maid at the home of a man that had a tailor shop. And the business was downstairs in this building and th where the saloon is now. She didn't call it a bar. She called it a saloon. And she said, the man who I worked for as a maid, his name was Mr. Clarence. And she said, so my father had just died from a bad heart and my mother was so sick I couldn't believe my mother didn't die first, but it was a short time later and she died. And she died from black vomit. And I, I obviously had no idea what that even meant, black vomit. And it, there was a, an, another long word that had something to do with some kind of a bowel instruction, uh, something wrong with her bowels. And she had been so sick for so long. She says, I just can't believe my father died before my mother. She says, but it was only two weeks later and, and my mother died. She said, so when I got the job is, you know, working for, for Mr. Clarence, I thought, well, I'm 23 years old. I have nobody else. I had no siblings, no, no brothers or sisters. And my mother and father were dead. She said, and I needed money, she said, so I took the job. She said, after a couple of weeks, Mr. Clarence asked me one night when I was leaving if I could come to his business and do some cleaning there. It was already getting dark, and I said, all right, tomorrow. He said, no, no one's there working. It will be easier and go faster if we do it now. I needed the money and I thought, I don't want to make him angry. I'll just go with him. It was a short walk to the business. When he turned on the light in the tailor shop, I was so surprised. Cloth, beautiful colors and thread, machines to sew it, uh, all this pretty stuff. I, I, it was so pretty in there. And I asked Mr. Clarence if I could learn to do this instead of cleaning. And he said, I, yeah, maybe I could. And I said, I would really like to do this instead of cleaning. And he said, we'll work on that. Or I'll think about it. He said something like that. So I turned around. And the next thing I knew, I was in this room. I don't know what happened. I don't know how it happened, except that my head really hurt bad. And this room was so dark and I was tied up. My mouth had clo a cloth in it. I couldn't talk or move. It was two days before I saw him again. I was frightened, thirsty, hungry, soiled from not even having a chamber pot. Of course, I was tied up. I couldn't have used it anyway. He gave me some water, some bread, and he put those irons on my ankles. Took off my stockings and shoes. Before he left, he tied me up again. 
I could hear him lock the door when he went down some steps. He came the next day with bread and water, a clean dress, and a chamber pot, a pail with water for me to drink out of. Mr. Clarence would come almost every day. He would bring me an apple or an orange, sometimes a piece of dried meat, always bread. And as a treat, he would give me some cheese. I don't know. I, I lost track of days. There was nothing. There was no way to write down how long I was there. And it was dark all the time. And Stella, and Stella said, you know what? I didn't understand with all those machines and the people working down there. Why didn't I hear anybody? I never heard anything. And I said, Stella, how long were you here for? She said, I do not know. She said, the only thing that I know for sure is that there were maybe five or six winters that I was up in this room. It was so cold in the winter. She says, Mr. Clarence finally brought me a horse blanket, but it wasn't enough. The last winter, my toes and foot turned black from the cold. I was very sick. And I do not remember Mr. Clarence ever coming back. I said, and she said, I guess I died. She said, I don't know what happened to me. She says, I remember looking down at my body thinking, who is that? Look how skinny that woman is. What's wrong with her hair? What is wrong with her? And I said, did he torture you? She said, not exactly. She says, but the things around my ankles hurt and my wrists hurt. I said, what's with the hooks or the, those, those circles in the ceiling? She said, oh, she said, he would tie my wrists in those circles and I would have to stand very, very straight. And that's when he would... I says, did he rape you? She said, no. She said, at least, well, she said, I guess you could call it that. When he would take off my clothes to wash me, he would use his hands. And she says, but he never did anything to me physically other than that. And I said, okay. And she said, and if I was bad, or I told him, please let me go. If I begged him for anything like that, he would let me stay like that overnight. She said, and I couldn't even, I could not even move my arms when he took me off. I would just lay down on my horse blanket and cry. She says, that's all I could do. And I said, so what happened? I said, why are you still here? We're going to go to part two after this. Thanks for tuning in to When Ghosts Speak. Remember, no part of the podcast can be used, shared, or rebroadcast without the written consent of Marianne Winkowski and Melissa Wiles. Join us again soon. Goodbye.